Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of spiritual warfare. Today's program is a continuation of the previous one where I was talking about the armor of God. In this program, I'd like to talk about an application of the subject of the armor of God. In this program, I'd like to talk about the thorn that Paul said that he had in his flesh. This is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. Beginning in verse 7, he said, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is a popular verse to come up when it comes to the subject of spiritual warfare because in this verse, the Apostle Paul says that a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him. Now, I have not heard enough discussion about this. Personally, I would like people to talk about this a little bit more. In most cases, what people do is they read through this and then they say things like, well... This infirmity, this thorn in the flesh, we're not quite sure what it is. We think that maybe it had something to do with his eyes. Maybe it had something to do with him being sick. Maybe it had something to do with him having an upset stomach. You know, anything but a demon sent there to disturb him. Anything but that. It does come up because it says a messenger of Satan, and so of course it's going to come up. You know, you do a search in the scriptures on Satan, the devil, demons, and this one is going to come up. But unfortunately, I I haven't heard enough material on this that I believe really should be out there. And so in this program, I'm going to talk about this verse in the way that is written. I'm not going to suggest that this has to do with his eyes, although perhaps that was a manifestation of this circumstance. I'm not going to say that this had something to do with him having an upset stomach and that that was his thorn in the flesh, although that certainly might also be a manifestation of this. I can understand that there may be manifestations that he would not enjoy, but instead of trying to speculate on what this thorn in the flesh might have been in the sense of the manifestation of it, why don't we just read what he says right here in verse 7, a messenger of Satan. I mean, to me, that seems quite clear that there is a demon who is there irritating him. But now what can be really awkward is that it says that the Lord decided to send this demon. 
Or perhaps he allowed the demon to go and disturb the Apostle Paul? Maybe he participated in this indirectly instead of directly, in the sense of, I'm going to send a demon over to disturb you. That could very well be the case. In verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. Now, who gave it to him? Well, it doesn't really say for sure, but I will speculate, I will assume, that the Lord was participating in this decision in some way. If he was not participating in the delivery of the demon, we know as we continue to read in verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But then in verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, the Lord says, no. Now, a lot of people could find this to be quite disturbing. I mean, think about it. The Apostle Paul, he says, a demon is disturbing me. It is a real thorn in my flesh. I'm going to pray. Now, of course, if anyone was going to pray, I would think that the Apostle Paul might have some leverage in prayer. He's going to pray. He's going to ask the living God to get rid of this demon, to get this demon out of his life. When it comes to the subject of spiritual warfare, isn't this what people are normally wanting to know? Is How do we get these demons out of our lives, right? How do we get rid of these demons? How do we get these demons out of our way? The Apostle Paul asks the Lord to get this demon out of his life, and the Lord says, no. Now, wouldn't that be a little disturbing to you if you had a demon in your life? Not only that, but the Lord made it clear. He made it clear that there is a demon that's in your life, and that his sole purpose for right now is to be a thorn in your life, that that's what he is, that's what he does. That's what he's about. He's there for you. He is your personal demon. He's been assigned to you personally. And the Lord has endorsed this. And so, you pray to the Lord. You ask the Lord, God, would you please get this demon out of my life? And he says, no. Now, how is this going to fit in to the theologies out there right now about spiritual warfare? I mean, how is this really going to fit? I think that this is going to be very challenging for people to squeeze in, to find a place in their belief system, to find some way of allowing this to take place. Because for the most part, the way that people approach the subject of spiritual warfare is that if you don't get the demon out of your life, well, then you're a total absolute failure. And I just don't see that. I can see here that there might be a place, there might be a role, and that we need to allow the Lord to make decisions concerning these things and be okay with it. To be okay with it to the extent where we will trust in our God. We will rely on Him. We will understand that there is a lot more going on than perhaps we understand or that we would like to understand. And we're going to have to trust in those things that we do know, accepting and understanding that there are going to be lots of things that we do not know and that we do not understand and that we must function with those things that we are certain about in the midst of the uncertainties. Here the Apostle Paul appears to be certain about this, but he also 
declares that he is certain that he will rest in Christ Jesus, that he will do that, and that he will take the word that the Lord said to him in verse 9, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He declares that the living God spoke to him, that this is the word of God. This is the sword, which is part of the armor of God that I explained in the previous program in Ephesians chapter 6. The word of God was given to him. The sword is in his hand. And how is it going to be used? To keep the demon there. Now, I want you to understand that I do believe that the Apostle Paul can respond and that he can attack and assault the situation and the circumstance. But what I see here is that it is a situation, it is a circumstance that the Lord wants him to have, that the Lord wants him to engage in, to regularly address this issue of being reminded of something, that this messenger has a message. And what this message is, he did not say, but it is a message that is a thorn in his flesh that he is constantly being reminded of, or being reminded of often enough. And the sword of the Spirit is what he's going to have to use in order to respond to whatever this message is from this messenger. Now, from what I can tell, the sword that he has been given is a sword of my grace is sufficient. And so with this, I'm going to suggest that it has to do with Paul's sin, that there probably is some sin in his life and that the demon is speaking to him about this sin every once in a while. He's speaking to him on the basis of the law, which is to say that, Paul, you violated the law. What could this be? Well, you know, I can guess. I mean, if I was this messenger that the devil sent to the Apostle Paul, perhaps endorsed by God, you know, consider... What God did with Job, he allowed the devil access to Job's life, so also here. He might have allowed the devil to have access to Paul's life in this unique way. What could this message be? If I had to pick something, if it was me and I had to pick something, I would say that it probably is the circumstance when the Apostle Paul went out to imprison Christians, perhaps even have them killed. If I was going to pick something that I would remind Paul about if I was a demon sent to remind him of something to make sure that he doesn't get out of line, that would probably be it. I'm just speculating, of course. Think about that for a minute. I mean, he has committed his life at this time. He has committed his life to the propagation of the gospel, to the proclamation, to the preaching of the gospel, so that others might be saved. Would this not be a significant issue for him to be reminded of? Remember, Paul, when you were so against those people who wanted to know their Messiah, who believed in their Messiah? If there was anything to pick, I'd pick that one. But, of course, I am confident that the demon could find at least another dozen items that would be very relevant to his life at the time when he was still proclaiming the gospel. At the time that he wrote this, there might very well have been some sins that he was being tempted with, perhaps that he was falling to. We have to allow for that. We certainly can't suggest that Paul became sinless in some way. I don't want to suggest that. There might have been a demon specifically assigned to him to remind him of these things so that he would not be overcome by the abundance of the revelations that were given to him. 
This is a reasonable explanation, but I think what is most important, having speculated on all of this, is, of course, to be reminded that while we do not know specifically what this thorn was, we can see that he was very clear about this being a messenger of Satan. He can respond to it according to the truth, referring to the armor of God. He can respond to it according to the truth that the grace of God is what is sufficient for him. He must rest in and rely on the grace that has been given to him, the mercy that has been given to him in light of the accusations that are being made, which are quite likely true. He can respond and say, yes, that is true, but I have the grace of God which allows me to continue on this day, right now, in light of what has happened, I can trust in his grace so that I can move forward and not be held in bondage to something that I cannot do anything about, that is beyond my scope, that is beyond my capability, I will do that which I can instead of being bound by those things that I cannot resolve, that I cannot do, that this can give him a way of living. This can give him the truth that he needs to be able to press on and to continue to live in the revelations that are given to him. The righteousness that he has is a righteousness that is given to him by grace. The grace of God is sufficient for him. He can defend himself by saying, yes, that is true. The message that you have given to me is true, but I have the righteousness of God. I am righteous because of what he did, not because of what I do, and certainly not because of what I did not do or because of this failure. These messages, or the message that is given to him to buffet him, to disturb him, that is a thorn in his flesh, can be overcome with the shield of faith. He can hold up his shield, the shield of faith, and say, yes, that is the truth, but I have this shield, which is the faith, which is my response to the truth of the grace of God that he has revealed to me that is sufficient for this circumstance that I am confronted with. He has the helmet of salvation, knowing that regardless of what messages are delivered to him of what things he might be accused of, of what struggles he might have in his flesh. He can trust in the salvation that he has. He can stand in the salvation that he has. And he can continue to fight with the truth of the word of God, knowing the word of God, living in the word of God, using the word of God and not being held back by this thorn, by this message from this messenger that has been sent by Satan, that is of Satan. He does not need to crawl up in some corner somewhere and hide. He can stand. He can continue to fight. He can continue to do the work that the Lord has given him to do. He can continue to live the life that the Lord our God gave to him. You can live your life. You can continue to live and walk in the path that he has laid before you because his grace is sufficient for you. Yes, there will be many messages. There will be many messages given to you from many messengers that will come from the devil and perhaps the Lord will allow them to get through. This will happen, but you can stand if you trust in the grace that has been given because it is sufficient. 
it is sufficient for you. So I wanted to mention that in the context of the armor of God, this issue of the thorn in the flesh that I believe is a practical example of how the Apostle Paul lived the truth of this armor that he referred to in Ephesians chapter 6, that there was an opportunity for him to apply these truths that are expressed through this symbolic representation. So I wanted to spend some time in this program to address that. Now, for the rest of this program, I'm going to address some specific questions. In this series of programs that I produced on spiritual warfare, I collected a bunch of questions from the email list that I have. On occasion, when I'm going to produce a new series or replace a series that I've already done, I will sometimes send out an email to my email list and ask the people who I have there if there are any specific issues or specific questions that they would like me to address. And so in this program, I will go ahead and address some of them. I will not be able to address all of them directly. Many of them I did address indirectly in the series of programs that I have produced so far. And so if you did send a question in and I'm not answering your question directly in a program such as this one, It is possible that I did give an answer to the question, but I embedded it within one of the previous programs that I produced. The first question that i like to address is an issue related to Isaiah chapter 14. I've spent a lot of time in this series talking about Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. There's another passage found in Ezekiel. In Isaiah chapter 14, the question is, Is the devil really mentioned? Is Satan really mentioned in these passages? Because if you were to look at the Hebrew, if you were to look at the language that Isaiah chapter 14 was written in, you don't have the devil's name actually mentioned in those verses. A lot of papers have been written about this. People have talked about this a lot, that we are not absolutely certain as to whether or not This passage really describes the devil declaring that he's going to be like God. It's a very legitimate question. It's a very important question. And this question is, of course, best answered with a verse-by-verse study on Isaiah. At the time that I'm doing this recording, I am doing a verse-by-verse study on Isaiah, but I have not made it to chapter 14 yet. And so if you are listening to this program and it's been a couple of years since I produced it, perhaps go and check the radio archive In the verse-by-verse section of the archive, in that section, there is a verse-by-verse study on Isaiah, and perhaps I have something there on Isaiah chapter 14 by the time that you are listening to this pre-recorded program. With the limited time that I have for this specific program, though, I will just simply tell you that there should not be an actual name such as the devil or Satan in Isaiah. I would not expect to see his name actually placed there. The reason why is because there is a law that forbids it. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 13, that is Exodus chapter 23, verse 13, you are not permitted to have the names of these gods on your lips. I believe that could also be understood as you're not going to write the name of the devil down on paper either. And so on that basis, I would expect Isaiah to follow the law. I would expect him to write his letter, his testimony, Isaiah chapter 14. I would expect him to write it in a way that he does not specifically use the name of the devil. He does not really use the name Lucifer. I would expect him to write it in a way that you would have to understand who he is talking about in order to avoid the violation 
of the law given in Exodus chapter 23, verse 13. And so that is why I have spoken very confidently that he was referring to the devil without any concern about this, because to me there is enough given to suggest to me that he really is talking about the devil in Isaiah chapter 14. He is just doing it in a way that he will not violate the law. Now, I understand that there are many who will not be comfortable with this explanation that I have just given. If you're not comfortable with this explanation, I understand that. I won't hold it against you. I'm just simply going to ask that you understand that I am willing to acknowledge that there is some uncertainty there and that perhaps a better translation could be made of these verses into English. However, I just want to let you know that I do take a position on this personally and that I do feel comfortable with this decision. I'm very open to an alternative, but chances are I will have to wait for the Lord to give me a different explanation and I will continue to pray that he will give me more insight on this subject with relevance to these verses in Isaiah chapter 14. Another popular question, a very common question, with relevance to the subject of spiritual warfare, is can believers be affected, oppressed, or possessed by demons? Very important question. Comes up all the time. I gave an example in program number six in this series of someone who had a swollen leg. In that example, I have every reason to believe that this person was a Christian, was a believer. There are many case studies that people have done, that people have presented and documented that gives them evidence as well that certainly believers can be affected by demons or that demons can have influence over us, that they can oppress us, they can perhaps possess us to an extent. I personally do not believe that a demon will be given the right or the authority to overcome a believer's consciousness. I don't think that it will go that far. I really don't. But I do know enough to know that if that happens, I'm going to respond to it as the Lord leads me to respond to that kind of a circumstance. I've never encountered that. I have never heard of that. But that does not mean that it has not happened or it will not happen because I am not the absolute authority on that question. I can only say from my exposure, from my limited understanding that the Lord has given to me, that there is a unique, special place within each person that only he can occupy. No demon will ever be able to occupy, but that demons do have access in other ways and that he will allow that in some circumstances. Consider the example I just gave you about the Apostle Paul that he had a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh. He asked the Lord that it be taken from him, and the Lord said no. And so to me, that is an acknowledgement of the existence and that he would not do anything about it at that time. Please take that into consideration. If you find yourself in a circumstance where this takes place, let the Lord lead you. Be sensitive to him. Listen to him. He will guide you. I have a question here about people asking, well, under what circumstances will we be able to tell if it is a demon or if it's just simply a regular circumstance or situation of life? How can we tell if the sufferings or the struggles that we are having are demonically inspired or if they're just because of our own stupidity or what? How can we know the difference? Well, personally, I will tell you what my approach is, and that is to assume that it is not a demon until... There is some divine revelation that says otherwise. 
That's how I respond to those circumstances. But if there is a demon present, if there is one involved, then by all means, attack and demand by the authority that your God has given to you that he leave. And if he doesn't, then make an appeal to the Lord, asking for some help, asking for his intervention. And if he says no, then perhaps he might be relating to you in a similar way that he related to the Apostle Paul when he said no to him. I personally would prefer not to experience that myself. But the demons do have an opportunity to throw their fiery darts at us. And the fiery darts that they throw at us are lies. They are messages. They are things that they communicate and say to us. And the Lord is going to permit this to occur. He, of course, doesn't need the demons to do this. We do these things to ourselves by telling ourselves things that are not true. You probably have some friends in your life or some people who are quite close to you who tell you things all the time that are not true. He doesn't need the demons to do this. But if the demons are involved, if they are participating, the response is still the same. Whether it is yourself, another person, or if it is a demon, regardless of who the messages are coming from, the response will still be the same. You must respond according to the truth. As the Lord Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And if this is true, which I certainly do believe it is, then it can also be said that if you believe the lie, then the lie will put you in bondage. So if you feel or if you get the sense, for whatever reason, that you are in some form of bondage, personally, internally, spiritually, however you would describe the bondage that you are experiencing, it probably is because you are believing something that is not true, and rejoice, rejoice to discover this possibility so that you might pursue some correction to this effect. Look into the scriptures to see whether or not what you believe is true. Ask for some counsel from different people who might have a different perspective concerning the circumstances that you are confronted with. There are many ways of addressing this. But what I want you to understand is the service that the demons can provide when they are functioning within the boundaries that occasionally the Lord may permit. And so be thankful and instead place your focus on the discovery and understanding of how God's grace truly is sufficient for you. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,